With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. Adam, the NFL and sports world got some sad news early in the week with the passing of iconic and legendary NFL coach Don Shula, who coached with the Baltimore Colts and most notably the Miami Dolphins. It's interesting we were talking about this before we started recording, and I I told you when you list off the names of NFL coaches who go on to the Mount Rushmore of head coaches. It seems like Don Shula's name isn't included, but you get names like Vince Lombardi. You get names like Bill Walsh or current with Bill Belichick, maybe George Hallis, Tom Landry, names like that, Curly Lambeau. But it seems like Don Shula, for some reason or another, is not included. And we both find that pretty unbelievable considering what he accomplished over the course of his 33 years as an NFL head coach. Yeah. You know, if you think about that, that 33 year span and the teams that you just mentioned, the Don, Don Shula coached 
Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Colts. And if you if you don't know anything about the Baltimore Colts and Johnny Unitas and the things that the, that team did, I, I urge you to Google it. Uh, Johnny Unitas is the first greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. So when you talk about th- those conversations, and part of the reason he was so great was because of uh, what what Don Shula was able to do with that team. And so he gets a little bit of credit for that. And it's it's one of those things where you look at that and you go, okay, wow, that's that's impressive. But then you go beyond that. His career ends in Baltimore, and he goes on to the Miami Dolphins and spends an incredible amount of time there and wins Super Bowl championships with the Miami Dolphins and is the head coach of the 72 Dolphins that go on to be the only undefeated team in NFL history. And and that, to me, is is a huge accomplishment as well. He's taken uh, a team that was – was helmed by you know Bob Greasy, who I, I know he's in the Hall of Fame, but you know he's in the Hall of Fame because of his seventy-two season. I, I I get it, but let's not you know let's not get too carried away there. The no-name defense and, and Larry Sanka and all those things. The, then he has Dan Marino as his as his quarterback, and I and and is leading these great Dolphin teams that, that ran up against uh, some, you know, some difficult teams and had some bad luck in the Super Bowl against the 49ers one year and, and didn't win in, in Danny Marino's rookie year. But you just look at the career that Don Shula had and the teams that, that he had that, that he was the leader of. Those are iconic football teams in NFL history. Iconic football teams in NFL history. And he's the leader of those teams. And, you know, we got into a conversation about the number of wins that he had, 328 regular season wins, 347 wins overall, by far the most wins of any head coach in NFL history. And you're right to to talk about, you know, the greatest coaches in NFL history and who would you want coaching your your team. Uh, if, you, if you're not including Don Shula in that conversation, I think you're ignoring you're ignoring somebody who is is an iconic figure in NFL history, who deserves to be on, as you said, that Mount Rushmore. I think he's definitely up there as one of the members of that Mount Rushmore uh, coaching picture, if you will. So uh, it is interesting that we don't, you know, who's the greatest coach in NFL history? Well, you know, you go, you probably get through three, four, five guys before you get to Don Shula, and that's probably a mistake. There's a stat that I think defines Don Shula better than anything. As I mentioned, he coached 33 years. He had two losing seasons. In 33 years as an NFL head coach, he had 31 winning seasons. When we were going over the resume of Pat Bowen to get into the Hall of Fame, the stat that was always thrown out was that the Denver Broncos played in more Super Bowls then they had losing seasons. Don Shula takes that and says, okay. In 33 years, he had two losing seasons. That is insane. It's insane. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to to think that in a in a three-plus decade career as a head coach in the NFL, to only have two years where you couldn't break the 500 mark. It, it, it just, it's, it, it blows you away. You can't really fathom it. Like I, I, you, you cannot imagine 
going through an entire career and having that much success. That, and that's really what I'm talking about here. The amount of success that Don Shula had as a head coach, it, it's, it's, I think that's maybe part of the reason you forget about him. Maybe you forget about Don Shula because he was so successful that it became something that was just taken for granted. You knew a Don Shula football team was going to be a winning football team. And so you didn't think about it. There wasn't any question about whether or not the Miami Dolphins or the Baltimore Colts were going to be any good because Don Shula was their head coach and they were going to be good. That doesn't mean that they were going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that they were going to always be the best team in the NFL, but you knew they always had a chance. Three plus decades, 33 years of quality football. That So you just you take it for granted and you talk about other people. I, I, that's, that's gotta be the only reason I can, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, I talked a little bit about some of the iconic players that played for him, the Johnny Unitas's and the Dan Marino's. Maybe you discount him a little bit for having great players on his team, but is that his fault? No, you coach the, the team that's provided to you by the owner and GM. I, it is an, an incredible stat. And you're right. When we talk, I loved, I loved bringing up that stat about Pat Bowen. Cause it was such a, like, it was such an, overarching stat right it was the one thing that you could say that was like yeah but look at what he did this is what makes him great and this is i think the same thing for don chulo you go look at look at this stat this is an this is an unimaginable stat i I, if you said it to me i had no idea it was the case i I just there's no way that's possible he did it that there it is i think the one thing that is probably held against don chula and i don't think it's his fault but super bowl three yeah. Where they came in as huge favorites, 18 point favorites over Joe Namath and the Jets. And they lose the game. And I'm, it, it, I don't think that's Don Shula's fault. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think it was just on that day, Joe Namath and the Jets were better than Johnny Unitas and the Colts. Well, and, and actually, just a, a small history lesson here. I think most people think Johnny right. Unitas started. Johnny Unitas didn't start that game. He didn't. Johnny Unitas was no longer the starting quarterback of the Baltimore Colts and and did not start most of the games that season. He did come into the game late, and when Johnny Unitas went into that game, they started to come back. They looked like they were going to win that game. The and and to this day, my dad hates the Jets because he loved Johnny Unitas, and so he hates the Jets for beating his Baltimore Colts. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up. We hold that against Don Shula a little bit, I think. I think I think that particular game was a turning point because no one believed that the Jets could beat the Colts because they were it was the two leagues, right? It was the AFL and the NFL and and you know, this was one of those things where it was like, well, the AFL is just not as good, right? It's just not as good, so it's not it, they can't win. And the Jets were probably discounted too much. And when you discount a team like that, as Bronco fans know from Super Bowl 32, when you discount a team like that, it has the uh, it has the effect of sometimes li- you know lighting that fire. Same thing with Super Bowl Fifty, uh, just to kind of continue the, the Broncos theme there. So I don't I don't put that loss necessarily on the Colts as well. That's the biggest upset in Super Bowl era history. It, it might very well be if you look at what uh, you know the the people in Vegas were saying about the point spread and things like that. But the truth of that is probably that they were given too much credit. And the Jets were not given enough credit simply because those two leagues were 
separated by as much as they were separated by. So you, you make a good point. It's really not something that should be held against Don Shula. That, that, that's more of a media-driven, um, wow, the, you know, the, there's no way that the Jets could be. Well, actually there was, and Joe Namath guaranteed it, and, you know, it's all legendary and history and all that good stuff. So uh, just a fascinating sort of sort of idea. You know, it's, it's a fascinating career to look at and to, to see – how long his career lasted and the effect that Don Shula had on the NFL. It, it it really is sort of that he's the quintessential head coach. As far as wins go, he was able to win every year. You give him a team, he's going to win with it. That's just the way it was. The other fascinating thing about Don Shula is who he learned from. He played for and coached with Paul Brown. He also learned from Weeb, Weeb Eubank. I mean, those are legendary names, especially Paul Brown, who is sixth on the all-time wins list for coaches in terms of regular season. And the other thing that stands out about Paul Brown is in his 25 years of coaching, he won seven championships. Yeah, you know, you think about it, you, those guys don't really get the the – the pre-merger days, when you look at the NFL and prior to the Super Bowl era, right before the merger takes place, those those teams get lost in the shuffle. Those teams because they don't have a Super Bowl win, right? You don't you, we don't call it a Super Bowl win. It's just a uh, an NFL championship. The those Paul Brown teams were some of the best teams in NFL history, and. You know, you're talking about Jim Brown and you're talking about Otto Graham and you're talking, I mean, you're talking about some, some real great names in NFL history on those teams. We don't think about those because in this modern era uh, of, you know, the Super Bowl era and, and the merger and it's, you know, you know, just the way things are now, you don't give credence to those guys from the past because it's so different. It's not like when you talk about baseball, for example, or, or even basketball where you didn't have, you don't have, you have a longer history with baseball. And you don't really have that split where, you know, the, the eras were so different. And because the sport is so different in the NFL and you have these very different eras, you talk about them differently and you recognize greatness differently. So a lot of the young people, and I, I hate to say it that way because I feel young, but I'm not. A lot of the young people who are coming to the NFL today they have no understanding of what the NFL was in the 1940s and 1950s, uh, you know, prior to the merger, prior to the Super Bowl era. And so they don't really recognize the greatness of those players, the greatness of those teams, the greatness of those coaches. That being said, Don Shula is one of those guys that spans those eras, right? He goes from pre-Super Bowl era past the merger and his greatness goes with him. That's the other thing I think is really important here. His greatness travels with him. He doesn't stop being great because of the, of the NFL AFL merger. And because we've entered the Super Bowl era, he continues his greatness. Those wins go with him. It didn't matter whether it was, you know, pre-merger or post-merger. Don Shula was a great coach. Agreed. And the NFL lost an iconic and legendary uh, figure and that celebration that the 72 dolphins do lost its patriarch. And I, I think it, it while it, it's, it's amazing to think that 
that team went perfect because the the only other chance that in recent history that it's been possible was the New England Patriots when they were 18 and 0 and were playing the New York Giants it's just it, it, it's a remarkable accomplishment and that that celebration that they do every year when that last team loses and the Broncos had an instance where they were the last team to remain undefeated and then lost to the New York Giants in that 98 season, which we still don't talk about because they should have won that game. Well, you talk about the game because they won the Super Bowl. I got, you know, to me, it's like, yeah, they won the Super Bowl. It's fine. But it's just, it, it, it's remarkable. And I, I, it's just as, as a lover of history and a lover of football, the life Don Shula lived is incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, he, he will be missed. Obviously, uh, there's a, a connection to the Broncos here uh, as well. Um, you know, the Broncos quarterback coach, Mike Shula. So you, you have you have that small connection as well, the, the family connection. Um, but he will be missed. Uh, and, and I'm sure that this this coming 2020 NFL season, there will be some tributes to him uh, and some reminders that Don Shula belongs on your coaching Mount Rushmore if he's not there already. So make sure you're Make sure you get your erasers ready to, to switch somebody out with Don Shula. He deserves it. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and, and move on to uh, some current NFL news. Um, we're, we know that uh, as, as of this recording, which is a, a Tuesday, Cinco de Mayo, uh, May 5th, the, the NFL will release their schedule uh, on the 7th, which is uh, uh, this coming Thursday for us, so May 7th. And it's they're going to move ahead. You know, we live in a world where uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about sports. I know I stayed up super late last night just to watch Korean baseball because I needed to watch a baseball game. And uh, I, you know, felonous bat flips that they do yeah, in that. I love it. I'm I'm all about even the bat on flips. foul balls. Yeah, that, that's, that's you know I, we could get into a conversation about bat flips. I used to be old school. You just drop your bat and put your head down and run around the bases like Mickey Mantle, who I love Mickey Mantle, and that was one of the things that I loved about him, but man, I, I've sort of come around to the bat flip. Give it to me, show it to play, throw that bat, man. You earned it. You hit that ball out of the park. I celebrate your, you know, just like I love touchdown celebrations. I mean, I love Barry Sanders and you hand the football to the rep, but dance for me. I want to see it. Let's have some fun. Let's make it enjoyable. So yes, I, I, I fell asleep. So I didn't get to see any bat flips because it was so late. The game didn't start until like one thirty or something because of a rain delays. Anyway, I digress. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on from Korean baseball. Uh, the schedule is going to come out, and the NFL is going to create a schedule that they are going to try and stick to. Whether they can or not, we'll we'll cover that if it comes to it. But there are going to be uh, games on paper that we are going to get to at least talk about. And so let's let's go ahead and talk about that. We know that it could change, but let's talk about what we think is going to happen and and those kinds of things. So we know that the Broncos will play six games against the AFC West. So the Kansas City Chiefs, Las Vegas Raiders, and Los Angeles Chargers. We also know about the other games, who they will play and where they will play. They play four games with the AFC East. So they will play home games with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. They're on the road for the New York Jets and the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots. They have four games with the NFC uh, the NFC South home to the New Orleans Saints and the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it's 
good that both of those games are at home. And then they're on the road for the Atlanta Falcons and Carolina Panthers. And then the schedule completes with Denver at home facing the Tennessee Titans and at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who we feel is an under-the-radar rivalry game with the Denver Broncos because of the playoff games that they've had over the course of their career or over the course of the history. So so we know where the games will be played. We just don't know when. And I, there was an interesting tweet from Broncos writer Eric Dalala who said that when the schedule comes out on Thursday, don't be surprised if the games versus the NFC South opponents are early, perhaps even all four in the first four weeks. Would also expect divisional games to be late in the year. Both of those would give the NFL flexibility just in case it's needed. And I, I, I can see that I, because there's just so much uncertainty now because no one knows what's going on. So you need to have yourself some flexibility. We don't know if there's going to be fans in the stadium. Peter King had a, a story on Monday that said potentially 70 or older won't be attending games in the NFL this season. Yeah, Woody uh, Woody Page actually tweeted about that. He said he would have to figure out a hobby because he wouldn't be able to go to football games. I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, I I think if, if you just kind of put aside the fact that uh, there, there could be uh, a lot of modification to what the NFL schedule looks like, and you just look at the opponents and, you know, how things could shake out. And I, and I know that – uh, obviously, as we have this conversation, things could change. But I, I just want to look at it like we would have looked at it uh, in a in a scenario where we weren't dealing with a coronavirus and stay at home orders, and uh, you know potentially telling people they couldn't go to games because of how old they are, or no fans at all, or those kinds of things. If you just look at the schedule and and the the potential opponents, the the Denver Broncos don't necessarily have um, an easy schedule here. This isn't this isn't a, a cakewalk for the Broncos. And we've talked a little bit about uh, Denver being a, a playoff team. And, and I think that that is uh, a, a possibility, right? I think there is a possibility that the Denver Broncos are uh, challenging for a playoff spot, but they're going to have to get through some, some difficult games and they're going to have to beat some teams that um, maybe they were, uh, that might be a struggle. So, you know, I think you're looking at a team that could win 10 games this year. You're looking at a team that could lose six, you know, they could lose 10 games this year, all depending on how things sort of play out, how the ball bounces, if you will. I think with any schedule, the first thing you look for is the buy. When does the ball, when does the buy fall? Obviously you would want it in the middle of the schedule. Typically weeks eight to week 11 are prime buy weeks because that's, it falls right in the middle of the season. The other thing you look for is road trips. And do they have consecutive games on the road? And where are those games played? So obviously we know the Broncos will have multiple trips to the East Coast. They will go to New York. They will go to New England. They will also go to Atlanta. They will also go to Carolina. And they will go to Pittsburgh. That is a difficult travel schedule yes it is because those are all going to the east coast and as we've touched on previous podcasts previewing schedules and talking about and analyzing the schedule for the broncos the broncos historically don't fare well in east coast games because that's when they kick off at 11 mountain time where are those games slotted on the schedule and where do they break down do they go from new england 
and then come back to Denver and then say, do they go to LA to play the chargers or to Vegas to play the Raiders? Now, obviously the flight to Vegas is just over the mountains in about an hour, hour and a half. And you're there. That's an easy trip. The trip to Kansas city is easy. Those trips to the East coast are going to be difficult. So I'm fascinated to see how those games break down and where they're placed on the schedule. How many home games do they get consecutively? So I'm looking at, do they have, how many back-to-back road games do they have? Do they have potentially a three-game road trip? Yeah, that's well, going yeah. to that's, that's be fascinating to see how the schedule breaks down. And if you look at, at, at Eric Delala's tweet and you think about, you know, games against the NFC uh, will, will likely be uh, early in the season, does that mean that they're going to be traveling a lot earlier? And if you look at their away games, their away games with the NFC – are the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. So you're going to get the, the assumption is those will be two games that you would get out of the way early on in that first, you know, four to six week period, along with your home games against uh, who do they got at home, New Orleans and, and Tampa Bay. So uh, those, those games all sort of taking place in, in the beginning, it might, you might see like a home away, home away, kind of situation you could you could get you know two at home two on the road just to get those out of the way it would be interesting to see what the nfl decides to do with that if they choose to do what uh eric delala is is sort of pointing out as far as putting those games early in the schedule which would then give you enough flexibility with the afc games that the broncos are going to that, that end up being more important when it comes to playoffs like when you're when you're looking at the playoff standings and things like that those AFC games, obviously the AFC West games are even more important uh, just because of the way that the playoffs break down. So you might even see, you know, your your home and aways with the the Raiders, Chargers, and Chiefs being those last six games. It might just be uh, all division uh, division rival games at the end of the season, and that would be uh, a really interesting way to look at the schedule as well. If you get all those non conference, non divisional games out of the way early, and then have all of your AFC West games late, how does that affect the team? How does that affect the playoffs? How does that affect, uh, you know, how does that affect Drew Locke's development within this new offense that they're going to be running? Will the Broncos work out the kinks, so to speak, at the beginning of the year and then be able to take those, uh, take take a, a better team into, uh, you know, into their AFC West division rival games? Perhaps injuries become a factor with those AFC West division rival games. So, the uncertainty of everything definitely impacts how you look at the teams that they're going to play. I, for one, am happy, and I'm just going to point this out, that they have the Buffalo Bills at home because for whatever reason, Denver can't win in Buffalo. I, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about Bills Mafia that that maybe scares them or just being in uh, upstate New York and having to deal with, with that travel schedule, but they cannot win in Buffalo. And I think what we've seen the last few times that they've traveled to Buffalo – uh, during that the Vance Joseph era, that that game in Buffalo uh, really sort of marked the end of the season for them. And you know, last last season playing Buffalo was also not good. You know, when you look at the 2019 season, so uh, I'm just happy they have Buffalo at home. I'm just just gonna just gonna say that. The other thing that's going to be fascinating is do the Broncos open at home or on the road? Because last year the 2019 season was the first time since 2010 
The Broncos opened on the road. In 2010, they opened up against the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road. And then, of course, last year, they opened on the road against the Oakland Raiders. So it's going to be fascinating to see, do they open on the road or do they open at home? And then how many primetime games do they have? Obviously, people have been raving about the Broncos draft and the weapons that Elway gave to Drew Locke. There's been a lot of anticipation about the offense. So how many primetime games? are Drew Locke and the Broncos going to be on? How does that play into all of the schedule? Because if you have a, a a Sunday night primetime game, that obviously impacts all kinds of things for the next week. When does the Thursday night game fall? That's another thing to keep in mind. So I, it's going to be a very interesting schedule for the Denver Broncos. And I, I do think they're a playoff team, but a lot of it is going to, is going to hinge on when does the buy fall and then the travel for these road games. I think that's going to be huge. And one thing that was announced early in the week is that uh, all international games have been postponed. So the expected Broncos Falcons game in Tottenham in North England uh, is not going to happen. So that takes some of the travel out of the way. So instead of traveling six hours over the Atlantic to the UK, they'll just be going to Atlanta. So it, it's going to be a very interesting schedule release for myriads, a myriad of reasons. Um, and it's going to be much anticipated since there are no sports aside from, at least right now, Korean baseball Korean and table baseball. tennis. That's right. Actually, you know what I've been watching? I don't know if you if you know this sport. It's called spike ball. Uh, so just a, just a little tangent here. I played spike ball when we went to Colorado over the summer to to visit home. Uh, my my younger cousins. I have a couple of cousins who are younger, high school and college age cousins. Uh, and my brother and I, we always beat up on these these two kids, right? These and now they're they're you know getting bigger and they're high school and college age and. Um, we played this game called spike ball. So I was flipping through channels, just looking for something to watch last weekend. I think it was. And I came across the spike ball championships. I am telling you people, I, I, I retweeted a, a, a video of one that I saw from ESPN of, of a spike ball uh, play that was really, really uh, incredible. Watch spike ball. It's fun. And then go play spike ball. Also fun. Just play it at home in your backyard with people that live with you because apparently you can't go anywhere. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely looking for sports. I think it was great that, uh, the, the NFL draft gave us that, uh, that little reprieve that, that respite away from, uh, thinking about what's going on in the world around us. The, the, the schedule is going to give us something to talk about that is going to be interesting and is going to be something that people get, can get excited about. So I'm happy that we're going to be talking about the schedule. We already are talking about it. Uh, but I but I feel bad for those international fans who are going to miss out on the opportunity to watch some some football. And after we take a short break, we'll have uh, Colin Cronin from Broncos Europe on to talk about the Denver Broncos with us and uh, and some of their disappointment in missing out on seeing the Broncos live, but the excitement that they have moving forward with what uh, is happening in Broncos country. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, we're uh, pretty lucky uh, to be joined right now by Colin Cronin of Broncos Europe. That's at Broncos E-U-R, capital E, capital U, capital R. Uh, you can follow... Uh, column on column from Cork, uh, which is uh, his Twitter Twitter feed right there as well. Uh, some pretty cool insight there from Broncos Europe. Always good to know that Broncos country spreads across the Atlantic Ocean uh, and sometimes even across the Pacific Ocean. And so we're we're definitely excited to have you join us today from all the way over there in Ireland. Thanks very much. Uh, happy to get a chance to chat to you yourself and Ian I I always love listening to, to you guys on the podcast we've had Ian on our show as well and uh, it's always fun to chat Broncos whenever I get the opportunity welcome welcome and so speaking of that uh, we got word that the NFL is not going to have any international games and I know speaking with with you that there is a lot of excitement about the Broncos finally coming back over to the UK uh, and playing in Tottenham against the Falcons in early October. What was the feeling when that word came from the from the NFL to make it official? Um, disappointment. Uh, we understand why the the league has chosen to make the decision they had right we they need the certainty how do teams plan when they can't really be sure if the games are on the schedule okay they may come to london but given everything that is happening it's in flux there's talks that you know there might be a flare-up again in in october or november very difficult for teams to plan so we totally understand why the league made the decision that they did but i think on our side for broncos fans over here there is understandable disappointment when the broncos last came over we're talking a decade ago josh mcdaniel's era not exactly vintage broncos the i think the the the, the feeling around the, the franchise at that time uh, wasn't good. Uh, and the, the team really kind of came in and it was a really short stint in in London. Um, and the feeling from over here was that the Broncos really wanted to do it differently this time. It seemed like Joe Ellis was talking about really wanting to make an international game i know there were lots of of different people had plans around um the 
what was going to happen uh, around the game. It sounded like the team were going to come over a lot earlier this time around. So definitely dis- disappointment getting an opportunity to see that brand new offense that we have and Drew Locke with all his toys to see that uh, here in Europe would have been a lot of fun. So I, I think, yeah, overall people just understand why, but we wish it was different. So just kind of to play off of that, obviously we all, we all wish it was different. Um, what What is it like, because you're talking about the, the disappointment of having them not come over uh, to play, and that would have been an opportunity for you to, to see them live and whatnot. What is it like to follow a team? Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm kind of a soccer fan as well, so there are some some European soccer clubs that I that I follow, or, or football clubs if, if you want me to go that direction as well. But uh, – and so I do get like the time change and things like that. But what was it like? I guess maybe what what is it like to follow a team when you when the hours are so different and then uh, not really be able to to just keep up with them as as constantly as you might like to? Well, it's probably improved immeasurably over the the last number of years. Fortunately, Adam. I mean, I'm sporting the Broncos uh, an awfully long time. My my first real memories were the '89 season and that loss to the 49ers, um, which you know uh, I I will ne- I don't think I'll ever fully get get over. I still twitch when I when I think about what Montana and Rice did to us. Um, we don't talk but, about it because we don't. It never <laughs> happened. We yeah. We I didn't watch that Super Bowl. My dad took us to a movie instead because he didn't want to put us through that. So, what a genius he was. <laughs> um, but they they were on fire. I mean, the, look, the the seventy two Dolphins wouldn't have fared any better. I don't think. So back then it was shown. There were highlights on um, Irish television, kind of on a Monday evening. Big games were shown, so the championship games or, or the Super Bowl. But apart from that, you were talking about snippets here and there in, in newspapers. And obviously, that uh, as time has gone on, I think between technology improving and the ability to create online communities, and also, I suppose, the fact that the league has grown immeasurably over that time. I mean, there have been concerted efforts to grow the game internationally, and I think as well, the fact that, you know, the, the league does a really good job, I think, maybe in comparison to, to sometimes other leagues with um, making um, I suppose highlights and stuff available. And the fact that the interaction that you get on social media tends to be pretty good. Some other leagues are always taking down anything um, that goes up, memes, copyrights, and that can be very frustrating. So. I think we have seen, and I think particularly when since the Broncos Europe group really kicked off, uh, we're about three years into it since uh, 2017 when Michael first reached out to me and he got a group of guys together. We've seen um, incredible growth and we now have members kind of not only in Ireland and the UK, but there's a huge Bronco contingent in Germany, Bronco contingent in Spain and France. And we did a video recently and we have Broncos fans from all over the world. So that has definitely helped. And the fact that when you're watching a game, you can tweet and interact with people. So even if it is the middle of the night with a, a late Sunday or a Monday night game, you're actually able to have fan interaction. Previously, I would have been sitting watching those on my own. 
and it could be a lonely experience at time, particularly if you were coming off the back of a loss and you had to head straight into work. Whereas at least now there is that community. It's still tough, definitely. I can tell you when you're rolling into to work the next day and you haven't had maybe any sleep or maybe you've had a couple of hours, but it's I, I think I, I described it to you earlier as an affliction. And that's how it is. I, I, I have to watch it. I'm like a guy with a sore tooth. Even when the Broncos are terrible, I, I can't stop touching it, you know. <laughs> um, so obviously during the Manning years, it was fantastic. Um, for for me, I, I mean, I was a Broncos fan, fortunately, when, when we won in 97, 98. But at that time, it was the era before social media it was before they were showing all of the games here. So I wasn't able to, to keep up with it to uh, live in that same way. But now, thanks to streaming and thanks to Game Pass, I, there's there's no excuse not to watch the game, which is almost terrible because it means I, I do. I watch everything I can possibly get my hands on when it comes to the Broncos. Before we started recording, you you talked about how difficult a Sunday night game is and Probably from your perspective, you're probably thankful they haven't been on Sunday night football that much the last couple of years. But what is your schedule like when they when they do play on Sunday night? And you you mentioned Peyton Manning and they were on Sunday night football a lot over the course of his four years in Denver. What 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 is that like and how do you go through it to 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 get up for it and to brace yourself for the workday come Monday? Well, when Peyton uh, was in situ, it was a hell of a lot easier because the football was generally amazing. So even if you weren't getting sleep, because with the Sunday night games, you're talking about that kind of kicking off around 1 a.m. here. So really, you're not getting a chance to go to bed beforehand, catch any sleep. And then you're talking about the games really not finishing until about 5 a.m. And you're going to have to probably be up in about 90 minutes uh, for, for work. So if you catch any sleep at all it's pretty limited and we know like after a game generally there's adrenaline you know um whether uh especially if you're you're buzzing after maybe a, a comeback or there's you know deflation and there's rage if if you've given up uh, a lead so it it's definitely challenging and that's why I, I sometimes describe being a fan of the, the Broncos and the NFL as an affliction because you, you you have to watch. I mean, I can't not watch it, but I do go into work. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate I work in higher ed and I tend to feed off the energy of the students. I work with a lot of international students and I work with a lot of students from the United States. So there's always stuff to talk about. There's always good banter between uh, me and the students, they, they know I'm a, I'm a big Broncos fan. We get students from all over the United States. So um, they're the whole plethora of teams. So it tends to be good fun on, on a Monday. Uh, Tuesday can can often be the, the one where you're even feeling it a little bit more and there isn't the games to, to talk about. Definitely. So you 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 mentioned your affliction. Uh, when, when were you afflicted? I, I guess Ian and I are curious because just like some you know Americans sort of came slow to soccer and and you know there were always those you know that weird kid that loved soccer and knew all of these things and you were like well, what is that about you know I, I came to soccer later on in life as a you know after I traveled through Europe when did you become afflicted with your love of the Denver Broncos and how the 
well, the 89 season. So they start showing this this new game, essentially, to, to me at the time on television here in Ireland on a Monday evening. They used to show Italian soccer highlights. And then after that, they started showing NFL highlights. And it was just try- firstly, I suppose, getting your head around the, the rules. But I started watching it and I saw this guy wearing a number seven shirt who just seemed to be here, there and everywhere. And I loved how he played the game. It just felt like street ball. And I, I love that in, in, in soccer where things are just kind of improvised. And this guy used to seem to come alive the, the longer the game went on. So we got into the fourth quarter and he was better than he'd been in the previous three. And he just made things happen. So John Elway was the reason I fell in love with football with NFL and the reason I fell in love um, with the Broncos um, he he broke my heart a couple of times uh, between Super Bowls when he got injured against the Bills in the, in the championship game and he, he did his tie I think that we could have probably been in with a shot that year obviously 96 was super disappointing and then we we go back to back so that was that was the reason I mean there were so many other um great players during that time but Elway is the one who who stands out and I'll always have that that special place that's also why you know the last couple of years have probably been even more frustrating because he was the reason I fell in love with the game I always you know thought this guy could do anything then he comes in as GM right his first four years as GM are like almost unprecedented success I mean other level and then after um, the Super Bowl 50 win you know, things don't go so well. And I definitely haven't been been shy in, in some of my criticism of, of John. And I think, you know, he, he, he got things wrong. I think he's gotten them right in the last few years and he's rectified the issues that, that were there. And it's amazing to, to see that. And fairness to Elway, even as a player, like he, he was never down. You could never count him out. And if you did, that was to your detriment. So you... John Elway is is the man responsible for for my love affair with the Denver Broncos. That's awesome. I think I think there's a lot of people in in the in in Broncos country that have similar stories to just falling in love with. Yeah, Ian raising his hand right there. Me too. You just fall in love with the way the guy plays and the things that he the things that he did. And uh, interesting that you bring up his progression as a GM. How it was you know just skyrocket right at the beginning and, you know, bringing in Peyton Manning and winning a Super Bowl and being, you know, one of the best teams in, in the NFL for several years. And then that the last, the, those few years after that were definitely not fun. Is that the, I suppose that's the, the right phrase. I'm not sure if there's a, a better phrase for it. I'll just go with not fun. <laughs> but you, we are back to what I would call some, some interesting times. Maybe they're going to be fun. What is your take on how things are progressing uh, with the Broncos after the 2019 season and what looks like uh, could be an exciting 2020 season. I think it will be an exciting 2020 season. I was, um, I think really, really frustrated after a couple of games, like some of the games last year, the Buffalo game in particular, Um, you know, we were at such, such a low ebb. Um, I had been a massive fan of, of Drew Locke and Michael McQuaid, who uh, is also in Broncos Europe. We had been banging the table for the Broncos to draft this guy. We were super excited. And so 
for him when he gets injured there, there's disappointment and then we when, when we did I, I wanted him to start as as soon as he possibly could so after the buffalo game i was despondent i really thought oh come on like why give this guy a shot and i was fortunate that i was there when drew lock made his debut and i got to see that bomb he throws to Cortland sutton Cortland sutton catches it one-handed i mean the, the entire thing was ridiculous and it was like it electrified mile high and we have ridden that wave since the I think that you've got a really, really positive development there. I think the team, the players, and I think the team, the rest of the franchise has come on board. I think the players buy into Drew Locke. I think he has um, the it factor. And I think if he doesn't make it, it it's not going to be for want of effort on his part. And I don't think it'll be want of effort on the, the rest of the team. I think you see the the connection that he has, the way in which the others talk about him. It's very different than what we had for the previous few years. And for me, I am really pleased with what we did in the draft. I think what we did in free agency, all you can ask of in free agency is that a team looks to improve. And we did that. We absolutely did that. Um, and then we go into the draft and we give Drew Locke all sorts of weapons. And I think bringing in Albert O was really smart, right? Because you now have a right-hand man. You have a lieutenant for Drew Locke in that locker room. So he already has the relationship with Cortland Sutton with Fant, you hear how the other guys are talking about him. But Albert Alberto is a guy who played with in college, who he true to, um, you know, all the time. He'll be able to, you know, bring, I suppose, the Drew Locke's ideas like that. That process of osmosis is now even easier when you have another guy who is on the same page as him. So for me, I expect us to be pretty exciting next year i think bringing in melvin gordon gives us an extra option out of the backfield which we've probably lacked for quite some time now really um a a, a back who can catch uh the the ball i think philip Lindsay is fantastic i love his attitude i and i think those two uh in combination could be quite special i think that on the defensive side of the ball, I think we'll be a lot stronger than we were last year even. And we were pretty good. I expect, you know, uh, having had a year for Vic Fangio to, to implement his system. And I think we made so, some good moves. But I, 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 I'm a massive fan of Justin Simmons. I think he's an incredibly cerebral player. He's a brilliant athlete. My only concern, I suppose, the, the two concerns I would have around this team are are tackles, obviously. And I, I think that we I think we go back to the playoffs this year. I really do. Um, I think in order to take the next step, we probably need to get a, a little bit meaner um, on, on defense. That that would be I, when you look at the the Broncos teams that have been successful, right? The Super Bowl 50 team. If you wanted to come and play football, we'll play football. We can play you out off the, the park. That's fine. But if you want to come and you want to start a war, we'll beat you in the trenches. We'll beat you on the field. When you saw what Tlaib did in the lead up to Super Bowl 50, TJ Ward tells the story about before the game, Tlaib comes out and he, he doesn't want any of the Broncos talking to the Panthers. You know, the the, fa the face mask, That that is... The reality of if you want to be successful, you need guys who are, are going to set the tone. 
and we need to see those guys emerge probably now maybe they maybe they will i just am unsure as yet who those guys are on the defense that's the the one thing is to see where that emerges but i have enormous belief in vic fangio and i think he's put a kind of an all-star cast in terms of the the coaching staff so I think really smart to put an experienced coaching staff together with a really young offense who believe in their QB. I think it's going to be a good year for Broncos country. You mentioned the tackles. What is going to to unfold with with Garrett Bowles? And is it not as big of an issue because of Drew Locke? I, I mean, obviously there's some debate about whether or not he was better in those five games or if it was just that like putting lipstick on a pig, Drew Locke was the lipstick, but there's still a pig that you're putting the lipstick on. So how do you think that's going to play out and what will they do going forward from this? And how big of an impact could Mike Munchak have on Garrett Bowles going into his second off season with, with Bowles? Yeah, I think there are some really interesting questions there, Ian. I do think that it tells you a lot when the Broncos didn't pick up Garrett Bowles' fifth-year option, despite the fact that he worked with Mike Munchak for a year. So that, to me, is quite telling. I mean, nobody has worked more closely with him over the past year than uh, Mike Munchak, and yet he decided not going to pick up that fifth-year option. That was really interesting in and of itself. And yet the Broncos didn't pick anyone up either in free agency or in the draft. So what what is the plan going forward is, I think, the maybe biggest question mark, the elephant in the room. I don't think Garrett Bowles is... I've seen um, some you know talk of like people are saying Garrett Bowles might get Drew Locke killed. I don't think. I think it, the opposite is probably the issue is he tries almost too hard to protect the quarterback. I... So I think it was Jeffrey Esri had the piece on uh, my uh, report today, kind of analyzing uh, Garrett Bowles and not seeing much progression. I think Garrett Bowles has all the physical tools that you would want in a tackle. It just unfortunately doesn't work. And I think probably, I think personally, maybe it's run its course in Denver. I just think whenever a penalty goes against him you you hear it it just sucks the life out of the stadium it's the exact opposite of when you put the ball in say Philip Lindsay's hands it's the absolute antithesis of that and so I think there are real questions there I mean I think um, Andrew Mason did a really interesting piece where he kind of looked at Garrett Bowles and that sometimes he goes on these runs of games where it can be four, five, six, even seven games where he's not giving away a penalty, but then he might have four awful games in a row. And I that's the concern. I mean, I think we're going to be a much more explosive offense than we have been over the last number of years. Is Garrett Bowles going to hinder that? And, and what does that do to the stadium? I think... You know, there's there's no easy answer to it, though. I mean, tackle is one of the really tough positions. These guys get an awful lot of money and, and the money only seems to increase all the time. You know, they probably if you look at what tackles were paid and what they're paid now, their their numbers are, are enormous. I don't think there is an easy answer to it. The fact that, you know, Elway was was left with a choice in the draft. Do you give it to do, do you? 
put weapons around lock and and you hope the guard poles is serviceable or do or do you look to, to take a tackle i i think he made the right choice um given that you ha- you know you have the probably the the best o line coach in the league so whatever we put in there will be serviceable. You have enough belief in Drew Locke that he can do it. And I think he showed he can. Personally, I don't think Bowles improved that much. I think you put Locke in you, who who wasn't a statue. And I think if you look at four of those five teams, they were pretty poor in terms of their ability to get to the QB, to sack the QB. And the 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 game against the Chiefs might have been a little more telling of of, of what we can expect, but when you've given Drew Locke more weapons to play with, he can probably get the, the ball out quicker. I would imagine we are looking at taking a tackle in the draft next year, but look, uh, Ramsiak was taken after Garrett Bowles, and look what he's become. It doesn't have to be an absolute stellar blue chip prospect to become a really, really good NFL tackle, especially when you have a coach like Mike Munchak. So I think they roll the dice this year because I worry about James's injury record. That is a concern. I think he's a very talented player. I think he has loads of ability. I think when you have him on the field, he's fantastic. He's one of the top tackles in the league. The issue is the guy has had he's missed more than 50% of games in three seasons. That's the only worry with, with James. If James stays fit though, right, then you have a pretty strong line, I think now, because I think Lloyd Cushenberry will be a very, very good center. And the only question is over a left tackle. Well, there is nobody, there's nobody in the league who has a perfect roster. Even the, even the chiefs have some issues. Now I think Andy Reid does an amazing job there. No, most Broncos fans don't, don't like that. <laughs> Ian's, Ian's making a face. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I get why. I don't like it. You know, I've, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. I, I know that dear Broncos fans, we all, you know, are have a, a dislike of, of the Raiders, but I've never, ever liked the Chiefs. Like, I, just, I really don't like going to, to Arrowhead. It's never been a happy hunting ground for the Broncos. But... I, I think unfortunately they they have um they have a head coach and a QB there now who are going to cause us problems. But again, even when we had Elway, right, who we recognize as an absolutely phenomenal QB, one of the very very best to play the game. It's not like we won it every single year. So, and I do think that in in terms of having Fangio, in terms of having Elway, we have guys who can come up with a plan to put the Broncos back into play in terms of winning the, the division. Will it be this year? Probably not, because I think if you checked your wallet right now, you probably have more money than the Chiefs have left in terms of cap space. I think they, they have looked to, to really max out on taking advantage of Patrick Mahomes' rookie deal, right? And I think they want to add uh, another ring before uh, they have to, to pay him. Uh, but I, I think overall, you look at our roster, there's incredible talent there. I think this year we have Garrett Bowles because I don't see what, what, are, what are your other options unless you've got some sort of kind of blockbuster trade in the works that none of us know about and who are you going to give away? I think he's here this season and I think next year we, we go tackle and we let Mike Munchak work his magic. 
That's that's great. I want to go back just real quick. I want to make sure that we all recognized that Ian described Drew Locke as lipstick. I thought that was an interesting uh, description of, of Drew Locke. So I just wanted wanted to make sure we remember that, and, and then we'll put that off to the side. Uh, Colm, I wanted to ask you just real quickly uh, as we kind of wrap this thing up here. What is the future like for for Broncos uh, Broncos Europe uh, as far as the Broncos play in there? What do you, what do you think about uh, what's going to be happening moving forward for fans like you and your, and the opportunities uh, to see to see your your favorite team playing playing live playing you know in North London at, at, at right Tottenham's in North London right I- yeah <laughs> yes indeed uh, the the North London derby that they have with Arsenal um, look I think that it is just we've pressed pause for right now in terms of international games. I don't think we've pressed stop. Uh, I think that they will happen. Um, I know not everyone is a fan of them and I understand that why that would be the case. But I'm, I'm from Ireland where we probably have a little bit of a unique perspective on this, right? Because we are the, the fact that there are Irish people all over the world means that we keep an eye on sport and English Premier League is is enormous in Ireland. Also, we have two national sports here. We have Gaelic football and hurling. And if you don't know what those are, I would absolutely check them out. Hurling is alongside NFL is the greatest sport in the world. It is like a, a mixture of, if you imagine, say, field hockey, lacrosse and murder. That's what hurling is. It, it is the fastest field sport. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, everyone who plays it, they're all amateurs. Check it out, guys. Go to YouTube. Check out hurling. It's phenomenal. But Can you use those three adjectives again? Because that's just that's too good to not have it repeated. <laughs> just do it one more time. Uh, I, I, I would descri- the way I would describe hurling is it's a it's a mixture uh, between field hockey, lacrosse, and murder. <laughs> that is just so perfect. It, if you watch it, you'll understand why it's absolutely a brilliant, brilliant sport. But the hurling and Gaelic football are under the auspices of the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA. And we actually, back in 1947, we have this uh, championship, the All-Ireland, and all the counties um, participate, and also a team from New York and a team from London. And back in 1947, we held the All-Ireland final outside of Ireland. We held it in New York. So in Ireland, we have that probably history and, and tradition of taking sports overseas. And so to us, that's why maybe we're more we 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 want it to happen. I get why I get why fans in Denver would never ever want to give up a home game. And I get why people can be somewhat annoyed around having, you know, games start super early. I do think the league clearly want this to happen. So I do think you'll see it happen in um not not this year, but in, in future years. And we Hopefully, we'll see the Broncos at at some point. But in terms of for this season, Broncos Europe will certainly um, look to 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 fill the the void of of not having the the game here. We will still have meetups. We do uh, meetups all all across Europe. I suppose our main base has been Dublin for those meetups, but we've had massive meetups in Manchester, in London, in Barcelona, in Munich. Uh, There've been some in Italy. And so the plan is for those to continue and those to grow. The great thing about those is it's not just the people who are already in the group. Every single week we have fans 
from Denver who have come over to visit Ireland and they're always amazed that there's such a contingent of Broncos fans and that there's a meetup. So it's it's really, really good fun or crack, as we would say. Crack is the Irish term for fun. And so I have no doubt that that will continue. It's going to be even better than it's been for the last few years because the football, I think, will be so much more exciting. Gone are the days of 16 or 17 point games. I'm pretty confident that we're going to see 24 plus points on a much more regular basis. That's awesome. Maybe one thing we could do is the next time you're in Denver, we can do a Broncos Europe Mile High Report meetup in the Mile High City. Absolutely. I'm very fortunate that I do try to make the pilgrimage two mile high and and note note the use of the term there uh, at least once a year. So my hope is that that will still happen this year. Even if I have to push it out to December, even if I have to push it out to week 17, I still want to make that trip if at all possible. Well, and hopefully uh, maybe we can get over across the pond and visit your uh, little green island as you described it and, and do a Broncos meetup in Dublin. That sounds that sounds amazing, and I'd love to do that. Absolutely. You guys would be more than welcome. Anyone who wants to come over, get in touch with us, get in touch with me, get in touch with Broncos Europe. We will look to guide you wherever you are coming in Europe. We'll let you know if there's meetups happening or if there's Broncos fans in the area that can tell you where they might be showing the the games. Um, that's really what we try and do. Everything we try and do is really around generating that sense of community and everyone involved. Michael, Mark, they're all we're all uh, on the same page. That's what we're we're endeavoring to do. So we would love to to welcome you guys uh, over. And Dublin is an absolutely amazing city. Ireland is a special little island, and I'm fortunate having worked with study abroad groups i've gotten to tour the entire island i can certainly offer plenty of tips and advice well thanks again for for joining us and we're, we're just it's been a pleasure absolutely great Magic. Yes, thank thanks you, very much appreciate it you've been listening to mile high report radio get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com and as always go broncos